The scripture reading this morning will be from Psalm 73, verses 25 through 28. Psalm 73, 25 through 28. Whom have I in heaven but you? In earth is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today. It's always a privilege for me to be able to come and worship with you and then a special privilege to be able to discuss with you from the standpoint of this pulpit about the Bible. It's always a wonderful privilege on my part to worship with you and to discuss this great book and we do that once again. We'll do that again tonight, Lord willing. And as I make mention of that, there'll be announcements that will be made and I encourage you to listen to them very carefully. But we will be beginning a gospel meeting next week. I hope that you'll make special plans and preparations to be with us. We're very grateful for the opportunity that comes along, along that line. We're grateful for Robert and Robert Johnson and him coming and taking special time to be with us. And so I hope that you'll make a special effort to be with us starting uh, next Sunday morning, every Sunday that we are here. I hope you're here. But we're going to have special occasion on Sunday and and through the course of the week, Monday through Wednesday night. And Robert is not new to us. He's a good friend of ours, and we're very grateful that he's coming. And I hope you'll take advantage of this. We've said a lot about this in the bulletin, and uh, we've made a lot of announcements about it. A lot of plans have been made. Preparations have been made. A lot of prayers have been made. And we're grateful for that and for the wonderful opportunity. And I encourage you to participate. And then once again, when the announcements are made, Please listen carefully to those announcements regarding the specifics of that matter. As you see before you, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, heaven, which is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Um, I enjoy talking about heaven. A lot of times in a gospel meeting, I'll spend some night talking about heaven. I'll also spend some night talking about the problem of hell. A lot of times I'll address it from the standpoint what I don't like about hell and what I do like about heaven. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that with you today, about the wonderful place the Bible calls heaven. And I have several points in mind and ideas in mind regarding the matter. I, I want you to come to realization as we study the Word of God just how certain heaven can be in your life that it is not an iffy matter at all, should not be an iffy matter at all. And I hope that by a study of the Word of God on this subject, as we reason about it together, that you will grow in your commitment and your devotion and your desire to go to heaven. That as we read more about this wonderful place, you'll say within your heart and your mind, I want to go there. And as we read and study more about this wonderful place the Bible calls heaven, you'll say... I want my family to go there. And I'm willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary for me to go to heaven. And I'm willing to make the sacrifices that are necessary for my family to go to heaven. And I hope that by the time that we're finished with our discussions that you'll say that in your heart and your mind. 
that it will not be just another exercise whereby we spend a period of time together, but that we genuinely grow in the process. And I have four points that I want to make for you today. Here they are. I'll spend just a little bit of time on each one. The first point that I want to talk about today is heaven is a real place. I think it's a very important matter to consider because sometimes I think that we talk about heaven and we talk about this, but we don't really think about it is a fact. There is a place called heaven. So I'll spend some time talking about that and how that we have to come to that conclusion and draw that conclusion. We have to draw the conclusion. There is a real heaven. But I think one thing that we want to remember and never forget is also another fact that we can all go there. Uh, it's not just for a privileged few. We think about it as a place for those who have devoted themselves to God and devoted themselves to Christ. But I can be there too as I devote my life to God and Christ and the divine directives which God has given me to follow. But then I want you to think about a fact that maybe we haven't thought too much about. And that is this third point that I'll talk about, and I'll try to be brief with each point. There's only going to be one day in heaven. And that you're only going to spend one day there. I'll tell you more about what I mean by that, what the Bible has to say about that matter in a moment. And then I think this is my favorite part of the whole subject about heaven. When I talk about that and I reason about it and I study about it from the scriptures, what my one day will be like. And I want to spend just a little bit of time with you this morning carrying us to heaven. And let us think about what it will be like. Some of the joys that will be there. And I rehearse again the reason and the rationale behind my thinking. I want us to grow in our commitment to go to heaven. And personally, I'm thinking about myself here. I, I want to grow with such devotion and dedication that I'm willing to make the sacrifices necessary so that I can go to heaven. I was talking with my daughter just yesterday, day before yesterday. We were talking about kids, grandkids. We were talking about the greatest grandkids in the world, by the way. But at any rate, we were talking about them. And, uh, you know, here's a challenge here and a challenge there. I said, what I want is when we die, we go to heaven. And that we're all there together. That's what I want. That's what your dad wants for you. That's what grandpa wants for his children. That's what I want for you here. I want us to grow in such commitment and devotion that we will say, yes, I'm going to heaven. The first thing I want to talk about today is that heaven is a real place. And that's why I picked one passage out of the Old Testament, one passage out of the New. The passage out of the Old Testament that I decided to use is this great verse that came to us in Psalm 73. And thank you for reading that psalm for us today, that portion of it. It's an interesting psalm, and when you have time, go back through it again and read the whole psalm. Just a few verses there, and the first part of the verse, first part of the psalm, is a psalm which talks about the fact that when I considered my affliction, when I considered my suffering, when I considered the ways that I have to face, then my step nearly slipped. I almost gave up altogether. And then the second part of the psalm, he says, but then when I reasoned about it from the standpoint of God and the temple and 
God's plan for my life, then I understood the end of these particular matters. And he works his way on down to about verse 25, and that's where we begin as we look at that. When have I in heaven but you, or whom have I? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fall or fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Now, from the backdrop and the context of the psalm, you see what he's really saying by the time he gets to verse 28. The most important thing in my life is to be near God. He's saying, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. That's the supreme good for me, to be close to God and to come to understand that there's a place whereby God and I can be together forever and ever. And so it's very clear that this Hebrew writer is talking about heaven. He's talking about a real place. Now, if you ask Jews today about heaven, they don't have a clear statement about that. They haven't thought that through like they really should have. But the Bible is very clear, both in Old Testament and in New Testament, that the heaven is real. And I'm thinking about Mark chapter 16 and verse 19, because in that particular portion of the book of Mark, right at the end, it talks about Jesus, it talks about the resurrection, but it also talks about heaven. And Jesus went back to heaven, he says in verse 19. So then when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Mark makes clear with regard to the ascension of Christ that heaven is a real place. It's not just some pie in the sky kind of situation that we sometimes think about. You know, it would be great if I had this, it would be great if I could do that. But it's a real place. And the Bible speaks about it in real concrete terms. Uh, redemption implies it. If there is no heaven, what's the point of redemption? The entire Bible is filled with the wonderful story of God sending His Son to redeem mankind from sin. It starts way back there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 and works its way all the way through to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, 18 and verse 19. And the whole gist of the Bible is the salvation of man through Christ. And if one were to ask, what is the purpose of the Bible? One would have to say the glorification of God. But we'd also have to add to that the salvation of man through Christ. And every book of the Bible talks about that wonderful subject. The reason that comes to mind is because the powerful presentation of redemption through the pages of the Bible teaches us there's a heaven to be gained and that there's a hell to be shunned. If there is no heaven, if it's not a real place, then what's the purpose of redemption? What is the purpose of God sending His Son to begin with? read in a popular magazine a year or so ago, I was asked to speak on a lectureship, so I was doing some research, and I was in the library and thumbing through a particular magazine. I happened to read an article about the seminaries and schools of religion and that kind of thing. And so I was interested in that particular matter, so I started glancing through it, and there was a survey in this particular magazine which said that 20% of the students that go to seminary school I never went to a seminary. I went to college, but I didn't go to a seminary school. I went to graduate school. 
but 20% of the students that went to seminary school did not believe there was a real heaven. And I looked at that and I thought, how could that possibly be? How, why would a student want to go to a special school like that to be trained in the study of the Bible if he really didn't believe that heaven was a real place? And then it occurred to me, why, of course. They don't believe heaven is a real place because they think the focus of the gospel is right here, right now. And we've coined the term social gospel over the last few years. And the term social gospel conveys the idea that life is to be changed for the better here. And all the focus is on the social context of how we live here. We want better race relations. Of course we do. And so all the focus of the preaching and the teaching is on better race relations. Or we want this segment of the society to be adequately reimbursed for the job that they're doing and we don't want them to be disadvantaged and of course we want that and so from their perspective the gospel approach is more this life this centered making sure this group gets reimbursed properly and not being taken advantage of by another group it's a social gospel type content and people begin to buy into that and they forget the fact heaven is real they forget the fact that it's not all about this life. It's about living life now so that I can go there later. It's about living as God has told me to live and following the Word of God in such a fashion and not be so focused with the social political aspects of this particular life, the political aspects of this life, but rather focus on the next life and to live life acceptably before God now so that I can live with Him in eternity later. The social gospel concept is not a biblical concept. The gospel as revealed in the pages of the Bible is the story of the death of Christ, the commands attached to that, and the promises that come from those commands. And such passages as Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 and Mark 16, 15 and 16 tell us very clearly, very precisely, this is what God wants you to do in order to receive forgiveness of sin, which is your greatest need. And when you comply with that and live faithfully before Him, you will live with Him forever and ever. It is a life that is to be lived now so that I can live with Him later. I'm concerned about people being treated fairly. I'm concerned about people being treated properly and being reimbursed properly for the jobs which they have given. But that's not the gospel within itself. It is living the Christian life and following the gospel that we read of from the pages of the New Testament. The reason my mind is thinking about these particular points is that's what heaven is all about. If there is no heaven, if it's not a real place, what's the point of the gospel anyway? It's certainly not just to have a better place to live or that everybody on the block and on the street can have a better place to live. It's about living life acceptably before God and thus being rewarded by it with eternal life. And if there is no heaven, then there is no hell. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46 tells us that there is a hell. And that those who will be cast there will be cast with everlasting punishment. 
They shall go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. I read for you Matthew 25 and the verses, verse 46. There is a hell to be shunned. There is a heaven to be gained. The Bible tells us that it's real. Redemption implies it. Hell suggests it. And we need to prepare for it. Now the wonderful place about that, and this is my second point that I'd like to discuss with you for just a brief moment, is that it's possible for every person to go there. And sometimes I have come across people that have actually felt that they were in such bad, moral, sorry shape that nobody would be concerned about them or be able to help them in any way. But let me tell you, if you feel that way, that you can have confidence assurance that you can go to heaven. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 that no one is so filled with sin that they cannot get forgiveness of sin if they'll repent of the sin. And then God gives them the assurance that they in turn can go to heaven. And I'd ask you to mark this passage in your Bible, 1 John 5 and 13, as it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now I'll reference it again, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, that we can know that we have eternal life because of our faithfulness to God and God's wonderful blessings in our life. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 always comes to my mind when I think about this, and I want to turn to that passage just very briefly. And it's a good chapter to read carefully and study with regard to life and the hereafter. But he starts the chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, this way. For we know. Now, I think it would be good for all of us from time to time to go through the pages of the Bible and just mark down the things we can know. Here's one of the things we can know, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And we can know that. You know, that's called assurance. A lot of times we may have forgotten this wonderful concept of assurance and how important it is from the standpoint of the pages of the Bible. The Bible teaches that we can have assurance. We just read 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. We can have blessed assurance knowing that I will go to heaven when I die. And as I'm going to point out in a moment, it's not because of the wonderful guy I am or the wonderful person you are. But it's because of the wonderful grace of God that we can have the assurance of heaven. And when I was a student a long time ago in college in Nashville, Tennessee, I sat in the um, auditorium and in their chapel service at David Lipscomb. And a fellow that I had never heard of before nor had ever seen before got up to speak. His name was Gus Nichols. And they introduced Brother Nichols. He was the gospel preacher from Jasper, Alabama. I did not know him, but I now will never forget him. Gus Nichols got up and he preached. And at the time, I thought to myself, man, I wish I could preach like Gus Nichols preached. And he got up there and he preached and he says, I want to go to heaven. And he talked about heaven that day in the chapel. I'll never forget it. But I don't want to die. 
I don't want to die because when I die, I'll have to quit preaching the gospel. And if I'm dead, I can't preach a gospel sermon. And if I'm dead, I can't tell people what a wonderful place heaven is. And I thought at the time, this is filled with assurance. This man has got such great faith. And it really rubbed off on me, and it really helped me understand the kind of faith that he had. And I wanted to have that kind of faith, that kind of assurance, that I know that when I die, I will go to heaven. Not because of the greatness or not because of what I've done. Because of Isaiah saying, Isaiah 64 and 6, everything I've done is like filthy rags compared to him. But I will go to heaven because of Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9, and 10, because of God's amazing grace. Not because God owes it to me, but because of obedience to him, God's grace will make up the difference. Let me turn to a passage that I think is very meaningful about grace and will give us assurance, helping us realize that when I die, I can go there. No matter who I am, no matter what I've done, no matter what's happened to me, I can repent of those sins, I can be obedient to God and to Christ, and I can go to that beautiful place the Bible talks about heaven. The verse that I have in mind is in Titus chapter 3. I think I'll read this whole paragraph. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, verse 2, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, now verse 5, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I'm in verse 7. So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now you talk about marking a passage, why don't you mark that one? It's found for us in Titus chapter 3, and I read verses 1 through 7. I'll be redeemed and I'll be saved and I'll go to heaven. Not because of my own deeds, that God owes me that, but because of my obedient faith and God's amazing grace. And while I think about this matter, I want to talk about this subject of assurance that you can know that you're going to heaven and that you will grow in assurance of your heart and your mind of that matter by reading for you today Revelation 1, 5, and 6. And as you read that great passage, look at what Jesus did for us and the blood of Christ making all of this possible for you and for me. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, verse 5, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. When I talk about the fact that I can go there, I'm talking about the fact that you can have assurance of going to that beautiful place the Bible calls heaven. And I want you to live in confident expectation. 
I will receive God's glory upon my passing from this life if and only if I have lived my life out of obedient faith, repented my sins, and lived according to His divine directives, His Word, His law, His commands. Third point that I wanted to develop today, and it's a brief one, and that is I'm only going to spend one day in heaven. I've talked about this particular matter to gender commitment and dedication in our lives, but I want us to realize that there's only going to be one day. But as I realize in this matter in Revelation chapter 21, you and I can read portions and selections of this section of the Bible together, we find that it will be an everlasting day. It'll be the land of fadeless day in the city four square. Revelation 21 and 22, I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb and its temple are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Let me go on down to chapter 22. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, verse 1, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. This wonderful description of heaven is a description which conveys the idea that my only day in heaven will be an everlasting day. It is the land of fadeless day where the city lies four square. I'll never have another day. It'll only be the one day. But I will spend eternity in that one day in heaven. But why would I want to go there? Why would I want to study what the Bible says about heaven generating from faith this commitment to live for God day by day? It is because of what that one day will be like. It'll be an unending day. And the first thing that comes to my mind with regard to the experiences of heaven for you and for me as children of God and obedient, faithful members of the church of the living God is that I will see the face of God. That's something I've thought a great deal about. I would love to have been with Moses when God placed him in the cleft of the rock. And there he covered him with his hand and he said, I'll let you see my hind parts. I'll pass by and let you see the back of God. And just the back of God inspired Moses to go on for 40 years and lead the children of Israel throughout wilderness wanderings. And it was a wilderness. The wilderness of Sinai is a wilderness. The Negev Desert is quite a desert. But that was enough to inspire Moses to go on and do all that God had asked him to do. Now in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1 and verse 18, the Bible makes clear, no one has seen the face of God face to face. No one has seen the true nature of God and the holy nature of God and experienced that and at the same time live. 
But yet that will all be changed in heaven. We shall behold Him as He is. And we shall see Him face to face. The one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The one who brought order out of chaos. And the one who created our very being and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. The one who sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might be saved from sin. We will be with God and we will see Him. Which no mere mortal is able to do. But we'll do it during that one day that we are in heaven. And I look forward to that one day. I look forward to the day when I can see God. But I'll tell you another matter that I always enjoy thinking about when I'm thinking about heaven and what that one day will be like. I will see Jesus Christ. Now be with Him. And all that Jesus did will run through our minds. And I'll be able to see Him. Fanny J. Crosby wrote some 8,000 songs And she wrote about blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. She wrote wonderful songs. One of the wonderful songs, though I don't think she wrote this particular song, Face to Face with Christ my Savior. Face to Face, what will it be? Fanny J. Crosby was blind. Blind right after birth and lived the rest of her life blind, but she was able to write so many of the songs that we sing. I don't think she wrote that particular one. But she wrote many that we we would be familiar with, and we sing on a regular occasion. Blessed Assurance, well, that's a wonderful song that we sing about, and yet we realize that a blind woman who was not able to see wrote songs like that. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not affirming the salvation of Fanny J. Crosby. I don't know anything about her. But I am saying one day you and I We'll see Jesus. We'll be able to see Him face to face and recognize Him for who and what He is. John chapter 6, 33 said He came from heaven. Mark 16, 19 says He's going back to heaven. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 19 says He's coming back again. He's going to be with us. Somebody asked a lady one time, said, Are you going to heaven? She said, Yes, I'm going to heaven. Ask her, well, who are you going to see when you get to heaven? She says, I want to see Jesus. He says, well, what if Jesus is not in heaven? And she said, well, then I'll go wherever Jesus is. And he said, well, what if Jesus is in hell? She said, wherever Jesus is, there is no hell. There's only heaven. When we go to heaven, one of the great joys of our life is that we're going to be able to see God and we're going to be able to see Christ, the one who died for us all. And we remember all the wonderful things that he did and all the wonderful things that he taught. But I want to spend another moment or two talking about this matter. I hadn't quite talked it out yet in my own mind. There are some things that I want to discuss with regard to what what heaven will be like and what it will be like when I'm there. I'm going to be there with the redeemed of all ages. And that's an amazing fact for me. That you and I will sit down on the riverbank of time. And we will be able to meet and talk with and be with the great saints of both covenants. 
both old and new. A couple of weeks ago, Carol and I were at the tomb of the patriarchs. It's in the ancient city of Hebron. Herod the Great had built a tremendous synagogue there, commemorating the death of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is the supposed site of the cave of Machpelah. Archaeologically speaking, the site is below this tremendous edifice that Herod the Great had built. Abraham's supposed to be buried there. I asked the tour guide who was with me, showing me these things. I said, are we sure this is the cave of Machpelah? He said, well, Herod the Great thought it was. And I thought, that's a pretty good argument right there. He built this tremendous synagogue on this site commemorating the death of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's called the Tomb of the Patriarchs. On the other side of that is a Muslim mosque. The two, for some reason, can't get together. You don't want to go to the Muslim mosque, and those who are of that nature don't want to go to the synagogue on this side where the tombs are supposedly the tombs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I'm going to tell you something. I, was, I might have been at the right place. Maybe I wasn't at the right place. I don't know. Heaven will be the right place. And I'll sit down with him and I will ask him, what was Moriah like? There'll be Moses. And I saw at a distance in the Negev desert the great mountain of Pisgah. And I'll sit down with Moses and I'll ask him, tell me all about it. And they took me to Carmel, overlooking the Jezreel Valley. More war has been fought in that valley than any other place on the earth. And I'm going to sit down on the riverbank of time, and I'm going to ask Elijah, what was it like? Over 400 prophets of Baal, I want to know everything about it. And he's going to say, it doesn't matter how many prophets of Baal they had. When God's on your side, you're in the majority. It was Elijah against them. And you cannot thwart God's will and God's plan. I want to go to heaven because of the redeemed of all ages will be there. And I'll be able to ask Paul. I want to know more about that passage in Galatians chapter 1. I want to know more about what you were telling us in Romans chapter 12. I want to know that. When you said that God had picked you from your mother's womb, what did you mean by that? Galatians chapter 1. Help me understand it. Heaven will be a place where the redeemed of all ages will be there. And you and I will be there so that we can converse and be in fellowship with them. But I tell you something near and dear to my heart when I talk about heaven and what it will be like over there. And that is the fact, loved ones that I have known who have preceded me will be there. And it'll be a great day when I can be with a grandmother who taught me how to read and a father who corrected me and disciplined me and taught me how important the church of the Lord is. It'll be a great day when I see my great-grandfather once again who helped establish the congregation, Lincoln County, Tennessee. It'll be a great day because I'll be with loved ones who've gone on before. 
people who've meant a lot to me, who've helped me, who were interested in me and spent time with me, people who showed me consideration and helped me understand things and pointed the way, who've gone on before. It'll be a great day where I can thank them once again. Because somebody took the time to teach me the Word of God and encourage me to repent of my sins and confess my faith and be baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. Somebody took me aside, tried to help me understand what the Christian life is all about and how to live it day by day. I don't want to miss that. This world is not my home. Heaven is a real place. We can all go there. It will be one day only, an eternal day. And it will be a day whereby we will rejoice greatly because of God's great love and God's great care for our lives. Now let me ask you this. Do you want to go to heaven? Are you willing to do what God has told you to do? Will you repent of your sins and change your life for what's right? Will you live the kind of life God's told you to live by being baptized into Christ for the remission of sins? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do what God has told you to do so that you will go to heaven? Let me ask it this way. Are you willing to give up what God has told you to give up in order to go to heaven? Are you willing to let that go and not let it be a part of your life any longer because it keeps you from going to heaven? Are you willing to do that? That's the choice you'll have to make. And I hope and pray that you'll make the choice. I want to go to heaven, and I'm willing to do whatever I can do in order to go there. And I'm going to depend upon God's amazing grace to make up for the difference. Will you not obey the gospel of Christ today? Will you not become a child of God today? Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.